everybody. Welcome to episode three of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo, Iowa. Joined on the other line, as always, by my co-host, David Mercatani. David, welcome back. Thank you, sir. How are you? Doing great. Yourself? I'm off the island. The water has gone away, so I'm happy. So Good. That's good to hear. Yeah. You were listening to our show last week. Uh, David's uh, house was surrounded almost by water down in the St. Louis yeah. area there. Uh, good to hear that uh, that things are receding down there. So I'm back on the loose. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, we've got, uh, we've got a little bit of wrestling stuff to talk about this week. Pan Am championships are in the books. European championships are in the books. Uh, a couple uh, things from a, a roster standpoint, a uh, couple changes there on the college end that we can talk about. Uh, but, David, uh, where do you want to start this thing? You want to start it with uh, Pan Am? Yeah, let's start there. That kind of makes sense. Okay. Well, a uh, little recap. The United States won 11 golds in all three styles combined. Uh, this past weekend in Brazil, five golds in freestyle, two bronzes, um, three uh, golds as well in Greco and women's freestyle. Did you get a chance to watch much of it, David? A little bit, yeah, sort of bits and pieces. I mean, it seemed overall like pretty much, you know, and, and I'm not worried, or not that it matters what I think, but like I'm not worried about this guy, but pretty much besides Steber, People either wrestled to for the United States, wrestled to, or exceeded expectations, which is good. I mean, it's not a huge tournament, right? The numbers aren't real deep. A lot of guys started in the semis to begin with. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I think most most everybody got three or four matches from the United States. Uh, you know, I know uh, Kyle Rochelle got three. Uh, James Green got four. I think Kraft got four. Um, I want to say Snyder got three, so uh, most of them got three or four. Yeah, maybe it was only Dom that was already in the semis. You're probably right. <laughs> so pretty pretty dominant showing. Um, you know, like I said, five gold, two bronzes out of uh, the eight weight classes, uh, 20 and four in matches for the U.S. freestyle team, 17 techs, a pin. Uh, match points, uh, 212 to 41 in favor of the United States. So uh, pretty absurd statistics there. Um, yeah. I tweeted that out uh, Sunday night, and uh, Tony Ramos asked, he goes, so are we really good, or, or does this show how weak the Pan Am? Pan American countries are minus USA, Cuban, and a few U.S. Yeah. individuals, and I, I, I think a little bit of both. I mean, you look at uh, – uh, some of these weights, um, you know, 65 kilos, for example, the one weight where the United States didn't place, um, you know, seems like the past four or five years, you know, with Brent Metcalf at that weight class, uh, there'll be some pretty good scraps with Franklin Gomez and Heisland Garcia and, um, you know, some other guys as well. Um, you know, and that, that was the case uh, this weekend. Gomez uh, was, was the uh, silver medalist, uh, Russell. Uh, finished, uh, he lost in the bronze medal match. Um, but uh, that, that was one weight where it was a little deeper. Um, 
74 kilos, probably not quite as deep. 57, probably not quite as deep. But uh, uh, I think on a case-by-case basis, um, you know, there there are some weights in there a little strong, you know, a little bit better than others. And, and uh, by and large, though, uh, you know, I think that uh, at least from where I sit, the USA Wrestling uh, Men's Freestyle Program is, is certainly heading in the right direction. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time talking about the Open last week. And, I, you know, I, it, I, I don't want to do an exact count, but, you know, some of the guys that won the Open were on that and some of them weren't. And, you know, like Rochelle wrestled really well at 74 kilos, but it's pretty far down the ladder when you look at the rankings and stuff like that. So, like you said, maybe that's a weight that wasn't as deep. But then when you have a guy like Steber, who's a world champion and, you know, losing a high-scoring match, it's probably like any of us that wrestled. Some some tournaments you go to, and you know everybody else had a, a tough tough road to hoe. And you know I kind of got an easy draw. And then there's other ones where you know a bunch of your teammates kind of cruise, and, and you you run into the two studs you know from the other teams. So um, I, I completely concur, though. It feels like kind of now that USA knows that Zadik's in charge, and you know all that transitioning stuff is over, and you know programs being put in place that. That it, it certainly seems like you know the USA's got a bright future ahead, especially in freestyle. And I think you know women and Greco had a good showing, and, and Greco really needed a good showing, so that's positive. Yeah, and I think you look at uh, the age division success that the United States has had here uh, in, in the last few years: Spencer Lee, Gable Stevenson, Mark Hall, Dayton Fix, um, you know Kyle Snyder, and what he's done. I mean, just so they, you know, I could go on and on and on about. Uh, the young guys in the program and how they've done on the world level, but uh, we're, we're seeing uh, success uh, like we've never really seen before at, at the age, age division levels. And and I think it bodes well. It, it certainly bodes well for, for the long-term future of, uh, you know, the men's freestyle program in the United States. And, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, things are pointing, they, they are pointing up for, for women's freestyle as well with, uh, you know, Helen Maroulis and, and uh, what she accomplished, Adeline Gray, multiple-time world champion, um, seeing some, some young uh, women in the United States that are, that are really starting to have success on the world level too. And I, I, I think we're going to see uh, a huge, huge run over the course of, of the next 15, 20 years just because of, you know, the, the growing popularity of, of girls wrestling now uh, one of the fastest growing sports at the high school level in the United States. You, you know, you combine that with with um, the groundbreaking accomplishment of Helen Mar- Maroulis winning Olympic gold. I, I think that there is going to be a a huge boom for girls freestyle wrestling or girls wrestling in the United States, and and that's going to bode well for for Terry Steiner's program as well. Yeah, and you know when. All of us that have wrestled, you know, the life lessons you learn, the things that make you tough, the friendships you build, the memories you have, none of those have anything to do with being a guy or a girl. You know, they're just, they're people lessons. So, you know, I think all of us, you know, guys like you and me that love wrestling, you know, we want as many people to experience wrestling. And I'm sure why you love it and, and your life experiences are different than mine. They have to be, obviously, but, you know, whether you're in St. Louis or in Iowa or any part of the country, and whether you're a guy or a girl, wrestling's just an awesome sport and an amazing metaphor for life. And 
you know, it's that Gable quote of once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy. And, you know, it's kind of super big picture, but I really, I do think wrestling is such a great sport for that. And the fact that we got more young ladies doing that is really, really positive for sure. And it'll help. It helps with the title nine argument and those other things that we've dealt with that, that we feel like people are hiding behind it. It takes that argument away for sure. Yep. So, uh, Anything else you want to hit on Pan Am? Do you want to move on to Euros? Yeah, tell me about Euros. I know that I saw the one match that we were talking about off air, but I mean, there were just some amazing wrestling, right? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, to rewind a little bit, uh, combine both Pan Ams and, and Europeans. If, if you get a chance, uh, go on to track wrestling if you haven't already done so, and and read the takeaways from Seth Patera, who, who covers uh, international freestyle wrestling for us. Uh, Seth. Uh, his knowledge of guys on on the international level is staggering. Insane, and, insane, and, yeah. And uh, uh, he's been great for us. He's been been a rock star for us, being able to to tell us, you know, and break down who are the guys to watch. What are what are the important areas that you should keep an eye on? What are the important things to watch? You know, going into all these UWW tournaments, and and then what are some of the key developments coming out of them? Seth broke it all down, going into to, uh, Pan Ams, going into Euros, coming out, uh, takeaways out of both of them. Uh, he's going to have more stuff up this week with the uh, Asian Championships, which uh, we'll get going here uh, uh, today uh, over in India. And so uh, I, I encourage you to check that out if, if you're into the international stuff. And uh, uh, lots of good stuff there. But uh, as you're mentioning, the 61-kilo uh, European final, was uh, one of the best freestyle matches you're, you're going to see this year. Um, Vladimir Kinchishvili of Georgia, the two-time world and Olympic champion, uh, falls behind 5-0, gets tossed, and falls behind 5-0 against Ahmed Chikayev, uh, uh, excuse me, of, of Russia. Chikayev Easy for you was, to say. Yeah. <laughs> Chikayev was, uh, uh, yeah, uh, common spelling for Kinchishvili, right? In, in, yeah, uh, exactly. So uh, uh, Kinchishvili falls behind 5-0 uh, against Chikayev. Chikayev, if you remember, wrestled Logan Steber in the, in the World Championships last year, ended up being the world bronze medalist at 61 kilos. Chikayev gets off to a 5-0 start. Kinchishvili comes storming back. Uh, just a, a terrific uh, action-packed match. Um, the kind of stuff that, that really that, that the sport needs to protect itself and thrive, I think, in the long term. You know, when you, you look at the Olympic future and, um, you know, trying to really anchor in for 2024 and beyond, um, it, it's, it's matches like that that, that are going to keep wrestling alive and thriving at the Olympic level and, and world level. Um, just, you know, you saw the big throw, you saw the great comeback, you saw action nonstop, um, two extremely talented wrestlers and, and it goes down the wire. Uh, David, you got a chance to watch that one? You said that match I did see, I mean, you know, so many people were texting me about it and obviously we had it and it's just, I think we, first of all, that skill level at those guys level is so insane. And normally, you know how that goes, like. You know, I don't care how it happens. If I reach back and headlock you for five, I, I don't care if we're playing tiddlywinks. That's just really hard to come back from. And 
those guys just battling like that, like you said, it's it's those are the kind of matches that make people wrestling fans. You know, that maybe weren't and people like us that are, you know, like people that are nerds and love this stuff, it just makes you love it even more. So it also is a very good sort of compare and contrast to like you said, well, how, you know, you and Ramos were talking about, well, how good is the U.S. and how weak are the Pan Ams? Those are the guys, and, and when you were talking about the summary that, that that track wrestling is doing, even if you're not hardcore in the international scene, that's what's great about the, the kind of people we have working at track. They can give you that really, really intelligent Reader's Digest version. And so when you go to the World Team Trials, you know whoever wins, who they're going to run into. And I know we'll have more stuff like that that out sort of what we do on a smaller scale with the NCAA and have somebody like Seth that's so intelligent at that level. For those of us that don't follow international wrestling and know who like the 23rd ranked guy in the country is like you and I do in, in division one, it's really great to be able to see those kind of things and just break it down. And, you know, so when you go to watch the worlds or the trials and all that, you kind of have a, a much more intelligent opinion based on, on what that guy's doing. Yeah, I think that's been one of the things that's been really cool about uh, wrestling here in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, you're seeing so much more uh, stuff online. It's so much easier to find matches from, you know, the off the beaten path places around the world. Uh, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, watching that tournament from Serbia in live time. And, and right. you know, it used to be like the only time that, you know, when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, growing up, even until then, um, the only time I could watch wrestling live on TV was Iowa Public Television, like, you know, yeah. seven nights a year, six, seven nights a year. And and now the, the amount of stuff that you can watch from, from your home is staggering. And I think that that's cool. I think that, that you know, we talked here a week ago, and I made the point uh, that wrestling is unlike any other sport and that, that the higher you get on the ladder, the less exposure you seem to get um, from the standpoint, uh, the number of people that are in the stands at the U.S. Open and, and the World Team Trials, it, it pales in comparison to the number of people that are in the, the seats, you know, in Carver-Hawkeye Arena for a dual meet or, or uh, Rec yeah. Hall for a dual meet or, or you know, that's going to an Ohio State duel or whatever it may be. And, and, and I think that this is you know, I, I think in time, hopefully, we're going to see some of these guys across the world, the Sajalayev, the Kinchishvili's, um, Chakayev's, I mean, on, on down the line, that they're going to become more of the household name for um, not just not just the hardcore wrestling fan that's into the freestyle, because it seems like there's, there's that faction of that, that kind of underground crowd that that follows this stuff religiously, but I'm not sure how big that crowd is compared to the people that, that follow the college scene. I just, I, I think it's, it's a fraction of the people that, that follow the college scene and, and hopefully uh, here over the course of, of the next several years. And, and as these um, world events become more readily accessible from your, from your home, you know, uh, hopefully some more people like this are going to become household names that people across the United States are going to follow this stuff a little more closely. 
Because the AI yeah. you mentioned, the skill level is absolutely incredible. I remember going to the the, uh, the World Championships two years ago in Las Vegas, and and I I may have said this uh, on this this podcast before. Uh, the heavyweight semifinals two years yeah. ago were, were sub minute tech falls, and these guys are unbelievable athletes uh, at heavyweight, and, and just the positions that that guys wrestle in and out of it's. It's mind blowing to me to have seen it up close and in person. How how incredible the talent level is at at the, the highest level of sport. It's insane. But the other thing that I, you know, I talk to people every week about our podcast and you know other points and what people whether they agree or disagree. And you know, we talked last week. I think my point was a lot of people root for the laundry and root for the team. And somebody else who I respect said. In a college season in wrestling, or like an NFL season, or a college football season, or, or whatever sport you like, like right now in the NBA playoffs, like there's a rhythm to it, there's a time to it. Like right now, anybody who likes basketball is inevitably thinks it's going to be the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors in the finals. And you know, in college football, like every game's sort of a playoff. With this international or, or the freestyle and Greco wrestling in the United States, and the international stuff, it just jumps up on you. You know, like you're yeah. done with D ones, and five weeks later, there's the open, and then it's kind of in reverse. Now we're going to have a, a last chance tournament in ten days, where if you didn't do good enough, then you can get back in. It's just it, it it's hard to follow, and it and it there's no build up to it. And you know, you know, like the World Series, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, you know, probably the only sport that you know, has this thing where it just jumps on you, up on you. It's like NASCAR with the Daytona 500 at the beginning of the year. And you probably yeah. know about that better than me because, you know, you told me you've covered auto racing, but everything else, there's a buildup to it. I mean, you already, you always know when the Super Bowl is. You always know when the World Series is. And there's always going to be, okay, well, these teams are in it, and then it comes down to this. And, you know, the U.S. Open, half the time, three weeks ahead of time, you don't even know who's registered for the tournament. So yeah. it's really hard for the media to create storylines and talk about matchups where, you know, pick one example. We talked about Gabe Dean and Bo Nickel for five months. And obviously, yeah. you know, those those guys are not Olympic gold medal good, but the buildup to that match is, is bigger than the big, the buildup for that match will be bigger than the buildup for David Taylor possibly winning the tournament and wrestling Jaden Cox. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's nothing against the first two guys, but they haven't accomplished, you know, what Jaden has and what David Taylor is trying to get from him. So you've, you've taught me this, you know, that in, in your line of work, especially you look for good stories. And to have good stories, you have to have time for them to build. And you have to have time for people to talk about them. It's not a good story if you're the only guy that thinks that. So, yeah. you know, it has to be in people's awareness and just, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the solution is because, you know, I know the people at USA Wrestling and they're working their fannies off to, you know, promote the sport. And it's tough because it's hard to promote the sport during collegiate season, you know, because it's almost like their minor league system. And then you get done and all of a sudden, here we go, U.S. Open five weeks away. You know, yeah. it's going to be even crazier if collegiate wrestling becomes a one-semester sport. It'll get even harder because the U.S. Open will be right around the same time as nationals. Yep, yep. 
Yeah. So, yeah. But you're right. The, the, I was at Vegas a couple of years ago when the, at the Worlds, and it's like, you know, we all wrestled and we all think how good we thought we were. And you watch those guys, like, they're like 900 points better than I was. You know, it's just you, like, it's frightening. They're so good. You know, and the, the point that I, I said to a couple people, like, when I came back from it, and, and, uh, my first love growing up was baseball and, and, uh, um, you know, having played, you know, having played in, in that sport, you, you don't understand like how good those major leaguers are until you get right. up and you, you sit in the stands and you watch them take infield or, or, you know, you watch those guys throw from the outfield or across the diamond and how effortlessly those guys are throwing, like, 95-mile-per-hour 90, seeds across the infield. On and, the paint, and, if they're pitching, too, yeah. yeah. And, and like, like those those line drives that carry, like, 200, uh, 200 feet out into the outfield before they take a bounce, and they're, like, six feet high the whole way out there. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you just don't understand how how good those guys are until you see it in person, and and that was the same thing that I said coming back from the World Championships. Like you don't understand, like until you're up close and and seeing these guys in person, and how how big and athletic those heavyweights are, and how fast um, a guy like Frank Chimizo is uh, in, in some of the positions that that those guys can scramble out of. It's it's mind blowing to me. It, it really is. Yeah, and I mean, you've covered the sport a long time. I coach guys, and when I was coaching, wrestled with guys for a long time, and you know, have run some of these events. So, you know, literally, like, you know, put hands on guys and vice versa, and then right up next to it. And I think, especially combat sports, it's it doesn't translate to video just how great these guys are. I mean, and you're right about baseball and all those other things, but it's kind of like watching a hockey game on TV versus being right next to the glass and watching these two just beasts going head first, smashing into the, you know, into the corner and then just bouncing out of there like ping pong balls and just keep going. I mean, the athleticism is insane. And a lot of the coaches that I interview, I talk to them and they're normal. What they're used to seeing is so abnormal. And that's what I talk to a lot of them about. I'm like, your guys, you know, like Jay Jaggers, look who he's coaching every day in the room. You know, all the, the Olympic medals, you know, those kind of things, and national champions and everything else, and and all the all the other programs we've been fortunate enough to talk to. You know, like your guys, the brands. I mean, they're normal to be Olympic champions and world champions, but for a lot of us, you know, that's a dream. And then to actually get to watch guys that good, like you're lucky if we can pull it up, you know, on track wrestling. But to be that close to it, like you said, it's it's almost incomprehensible. Some of them are little nuances what they do better, and some of them are just flat out better and better athletes and everything else. But yeah, I mean, I think that's when you watch this level of wrestling, whether it's the U.S. Open, whether it's the Pan Ams. But as the farther you go up the food chain, the more you just you should have respect and you should be impressed by just the level of skill and excellence that these guys are, 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 are producing. Well, we got some college stuff to talk about. You want to, you want to go to that now? Yeah. You want to go to yeah, sure. There's, there's the sort of two, two things we saw, right? We saw yep. Kevin Vaux, uh left Boise state, you know, got out of his NLI and signed with Chris Bono and reader and shop at South Dakota state. And then we saw Jose Rodriguez, requested his release from Ohio State, 
And, you know, I don't think I haven't seen anything on where he's going to go yet. Uh, you know, but, and I think we're probably going to talk a little bit about, you know, a couple rankings weight classes, but, um, you know, he's a guy that would be ranked in the preseason. It, it certainly makes the conversation more valid that Tomasello would drop to 25, Fletcher would drop to 33, Keyshawn Hayes would go to 41. And then, you know, with the additions they've had at 57 and 65, like how stout that lineup would be and how almost any other year they would be the preseason number one. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you look at – I was talking to somebody last night, and they're going to have five guys ranked in the top two, the Tomasello and then the last four weights. They're, they're all going to be ranked one or two. And then Mike is, I think, three. And then – They've got almost everybody else is is going to be ranked at least like in the top twenty, and they still can't beat five ones. And and another kid, they, there's an argument to be made that he could be a number one. You know, he's not. They can't beat them. I'm just saying that on rankings, they can't beat that. You know, so yeah. I mean, it's just insane. So that dual meet, though, if it goes out, if it if it shakes out that way, it would is. I don't know if the schedule's out yet, and I don't know if they wrestle each other, but that. That's got to be the first dual meet you circle of the year. Those wow. two schools. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, the matchups yeah. are insane in that duel. So. Well, you've been working on rankings. You, you talk yeah. about rankings and stuff on paper. You've been working on them, uh, kind of taking a, a preview run at this. You want to start with 25 and 33 today? Yeah, let's just talk about those, and we won't put them out. This is just kind of more to talk about. I mean, I guess if anybody wants to hear about them or see a copy of them, they can, you know, send a note to Track Wrestling, and I'll forward them to them. But, yeah, right now, and this is the criteria that we used before and I used, and, you know, I know even in the beginning you didn't necessarily agree with it. It may not necessarily be right, but it's just the criteria. We put all the guys that placed last year ahead of anybody that didn't place last year then anybody who placed in previous years due to red shirts or injuries or whatever else. And then really it's, you know, then like round of 12, round of 16, round of 24s. And then, so there's some really, we'll talk about some red shirts, but they won't even be in like in the rankings right now, you know, at least initially this far out in May. So Darian Cruz, Ethan Lezak, Nick Piccinini, Jack Mueller, Sean Russell placed first, second, fourth, six, and seven. So they're your top five. Uh, I made the judgment call to put Suriano in at six. He's the guy that could literally make an argument for number one. He beat Cruz head-to-head. I just think that'd be incredibly disrespectful to Cruz to not have Cruz at one. But clearly, we all saw how good Suriano was last year. Then Ryan Milhoff was seventh the year before for OU, and now he's at Arizona State. And then Zeke Moisey had that great run two years ago. Uh, he took second, was injured the year before, and redshirted this past year. So that's your top eight, and you have literally seven All-Americans and a guy, even with the injury losses, that was the, th- the three seed going into Nationals. Your guys 9 through 12 are three round of 12 guys, Sean Fawes, North Carolina State, Brock Hudkins, Northern Illinois, Ronnie Bresser, Oregon State, and then Shakur Laney, uh, was one of two guys in the round of 16. I ranked him ahead of Aiken because he placed head-to-head higher than him in the MAC. Then Aiken is next. He was around the 16 guy. 
Then there's a ton of round of 24 guys. And this is where judgment comes in. You know, there are certainly some arguments, you know, for or against guys. But in no particular order, you got Josh Terrell from American, Travis Piotrowski from Illinois, Jose Rodriguez, who is at Ohio State. You know, we don't know where he'll be. Gabe Townsell, Stanford, Johnny Jimenez, Wisconsin, Jake Gramacki from Clarion. Then the guys who were around the 32, again, in no particular order, Christian Moody, Oklahoma, Elijah Oliver, Indiana, Noah Gonzer, Eastern Michigan, Brent Fleetwood, Central Michigan, Sean Nickel, Cal State Bakersfield, and Barlow McGee literally was the round of 33 guy because he had the pigtail lost and then lost in the pigtail on the back. But he was a guy that was rounded 12 a year ago and just really kind of had an underwhelming season for him. Then, besides that, that's 25 deep. Then you've still got guys like coming off of red shirt like Sebastian Rivera at Northwestern, Danny Vega at Iowa State, Kyle Nordstrom at Virginia Tech. you got two studs at Cornell and Noah Bauman or Dalton Macri. Pitt's got L.J. Bentley. Michigan's got Austin Acid coming off injury. And Zach Fuentes is coming back from Drexel. So, I mean, that's and that's besides, you know, obviously the recruits. And freshmen generally have a bigger impact at these lower weights. So, what do you think about that, Andy? Well, the first thing that, that stands out to me is, is Barlow McGee at 25. It's kind of startling because what, uh, you know, and I can maybe rewind in our sheet here and see. Now, maybe not. Maybe they're all gone by now. But uh, no, he started uh, the year at six. Six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, there yeah. It is. Started yep. the year at six <laughs> after uh, beating Kreiser in the All Star Classic, and and you know I losing him lost to Kreiser. Oh, that's right. That's right. He lost. Yeah. Lost to one oh one oh right or two oh, I think it was. Yeah. Something like that. He got the only takedown and yeah got rode out three two. Kreiser had two escapes in riding time. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah, my memory's failing me already, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that that was uh, a little startling to see him at, at 25. But that's that's the way the season ended up for him. I, I, I'm curious to see if he's going to bounce back. I mean, if if having the off season to hit the reset button and and just um, be able to start over next year, clean slate. Uh, if if we see uh, Barlow McGee on the stand you know, next March, you know, I think he's, I think he's certainly capable if, if he can have a healthy season. I don't know about you, but uh, he's been in the mix. He's certainly been yeah. in the mix. And, and uh, you know, that's a guy that, um, you know, Missouri's losing some firepower and, and that's a guy that, that has to come through and be on that stand, you know, from Missouri to be, be a factor in the team race in, in the, in the trophy race next year. Yeah. And it also shows you that Jose Rodriguez, you know, based on where we have him, he scores a point and a half, plus obviously any bonus, plus obviously he could do better. So he could be an impact guy for wherever he ends up. And, and then the other thing, I mean, I always look at, like, how many All-Americans are in that weight. And, you know, really it's seven and a half. I don't think it doesn't matter if you love or hate Penn State or Soriano. I think it's hard to imagine if he was healthy that he didn't, on his worst day, take eighth last year. You know, and that's probably an insult to that kid based on how his season was going. So, yeah. I mean, you know, realistically, he was the top one, two, three guy. So you have eight All-Americans. It's a pretty stout weight. You know, when guys like Paws and Hudkins and Bresser and Laney 
are knocking on the door. Like you said, when Barlow McGee's 25th, it's a pretty good weight. So you want to dig into 33 a little bit? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, maybe a good segue is, is the point you brought up with Tomasello. If if he goes down to 25, wherever he goes, he's going to be ranked uh, two. You know, probably, He'll probably be ranked probably first two second, either way. Second. Yeah, yep, yep. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The guys lost. The guys lost two matches in two years, <laughs> and and uh, both have been in the semifinals. Corey Clark and and Thomas Gilman. So, yeah. Uh, Iowa guys. Uh, yeah. Yep. And so uh, you know, talking about a guy who's had an incredible career to this point. One, three, three, and in uh, the third place finishes two losses in two years. So uh, that's going to be a difference maker wherever he goes. He's going to be in the race for a title, obviously. Uh, but but it'll be compelling to see where where he winds up and how that Ohio State they how that Ohio State lineup uh, how the pieces fit together. Yeah, for sure. So 33, there's five returning All-Americans: Seth Gross, uh, South Dakota State second; Nathan Thomasello third; Devon Misick fourth; Cade Brock fifth; Scotty Parker eighth. Then you have three round of 12 guys: Brian Landry, Buffalo; Mitch McKee, Minnesota. Scott Del Vecchio, Rutgers. And you've got four round of 16 guys that end up being ranked 9 through 12. Dom Forrest, Pitt, John Ernesty, Mizzou, Josh Albert, Northern Iowa, Jamal Morris, NC State. Although, talking to Beasley, Morris will go up to 149. So we'll probably make that adjustment later. But um, then round of 16 is interesting. If Corbin or not, the guys ranked 13 through 16 are round of 24 guys. Corbin Myers, Edinburgh, Connor Schramm, Sanford, who was eight two years ago, or eight a year ago, excuse me, Cam Sakura, North Dakota State, and then Colby Smith, who transferred from App State to Mizzou. So I left him in here for now because we're not publishing these. But they, Mizzou has the number 10 and number 16 guys in the country on the roster, at least in my ranking. Then the two other round of 24 guys are Austin Niker, Michigan State, Pat Darcy, Princeton. Then your round of 32 and 33 guys are Chris Devian from Chat, Anthony Titolo from Kent State, Alex Madrigal, Old Dominion, Rico Montoya, Northern Colorado, DJ Selman, Lockhaven. And then guys that were ranked some during the year, guys like Cam Kelly from Ohio, Luke Welch from Purdue, a guy like Ali Nazer from Arizona State who's got like, wins over Coleman Scott and John Morrison, Dennis Gustafson from Virginia Tech. And then you got guys like Taylor Lamont coming off of Richard at Utah Valley, Montori Bridges off Richard at Wyoming, Rudy Yates, who's at Northern Iowa, who's, you know, that's interesting because, he, you know, he's going to be pushing Josh Albert for that spot. Tariq Wilson in North Carolina State, who looks like he'd be the guy to step in for Morris. Uh, Phillips. Philip is it? How do I pronounce the kid's name from Iowa? The last name Philip Locks. Is that, is that right? Philip Locks. Yeah, Locks. Yep. Locks. And then Jared Cortez, Penn State. Nathan Boston Campbell, Mickey Philippi, or Philippi, excuse me, Virginia. Tyshawn White, Lockhaven, Dylan Duncan, Illinois. So this way it feels like. It's really deep. Like, I mean, we named 33 guys, and some of them are not going to even probably qualify for nationals, but it's not as deep at the top in terms of having a few less All-Americans. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And it, it seems like, uh, you know, this was a weight where we saw a lot of movement. It, it seemed from probably about 10 on down to 25 this year. 
you know, sure. that, that, uh, that crowd that, uh, you know, Shram was in, Jamal Morris, Albert, Ernesty, Earl Hall, um, you know, all the way down to 25 and, you know, Cam Kelly in and out of the rankings. Uh, so, you know, you, you, as you mentioned, there's a ton of guys back right there and, and, you know, that's, that's not really getting into the, you know, the potential, potential guys that could step in. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the freshmen that could step in, the guys that we haven't seen on the mat, uh, in their lineups yet that, that will certainly make an impact. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Northern Iowa situation. That's one to keep an eye on. Missouri. It'll be fascinating to see, uh, some of those Mac battles. Uh, just well, to make the lineup. Northern Iowa is going to be tough because I think they've both taken a redshirt year. I mean, I think Missouri will redshirt Colby Smith just because he hasn't. But you're right. I mean, that's, you know, and there's, when we get into some of these other weight classes going through, I mean, we're probably not even mentioning, like, you look at when we talk about 141 next week and how good Oklahoma State is at that weight. They got three guys that oh, probably could be ranked in the top 12 in the country. So. Yep. You know, and that's yep. not to discredit any of these other schools. It's just that, that's such a blatant, you know, display of powerful depth there that it, it deserves mentioning. But, yeah, yep. this is another way where it feels like, I mean, you know, and, and you and I keep track of this document, and it's kind of cool the way we do it where we can see where guys were ranked every week and kind of who trended up or down. And you look at, like, an earnesty, and he wasn't even on the board for eight or nine weeks, and then he pops in at 19 and worked his all the way – was worked himself all the way up to like 10 or so by the end. And I think those are the kind of guys that if you're coaching them, you're like, we can't wait to get those guys back on the mat because they were trending the right way. You know, so it's another really interesting weight. And, and obviously, you know, the weights so far we've talked about have huge impacts on the team race. Like, you know, if Tomasello goes to 25, that, you know, theoretically bumps all those guys down a spot and then it bumps all these other guys up a spot. You know, like if you're, you know, you're an Oklahoma State guy and now Tomasello theoretically is gone and Cade Brock's ranked third, to have to not wrestle Seth Gross again would <laughs> probably be nice to be on the other side of the bracket of that theoretically. So, yeah, yeah. and we, and, and, you know, I've worked on these. We're about six, seven weights in, so we'll probably tackle two or three of these more next week, just depending on how slow the week in wrestling is. So, Well, anything else this week, David? No, man, it's uh, it kind of feels like the calm before the storm, right? Because, you know, starting next month, you got world team trials and you got junior duels and then it's Fargo and then it's preseason. Um, I did want to mention Chris Roseman from the Sports Commission was on Matt Chat. I thought he did a really good job of explaining a lot of questions that I think people have. And uh, Mark Manning will come out this Friday. He did a, did a great job on in his interview talking about uh, James Green, Jordan Burroughs, the training situation there, University of Nebraska's team this coming year. I think he likes where his team is. I think he likes the fact that they're probably underdogs or underrated or, you know, that people like us think they're going to take a step back, and I can tell you he doesn't think that. And then kind of what we can expect in Lincoln next month. So it was kind of a timely interview, and then um, we're going to interview two guys in the, next, in the next week or so here that'll come on after, and I'm really excited about both of them, and one of them in particular is, is somebody we've been hoping to get for a long time, so I'm real excited about that. Awesome. Well, hey, David, thank you as always. Uh, my pleasure, Andy.
And uh, this has been episode three of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. Thank you for tuning in. Check back to Track Wrestling, as I mentioned, for all that coverage of the Pan Am Championships and European Championships. And uh, you can look for David's Matt chat coming out later in the week. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back again next week. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.